Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-hosts. I don't have a silly intro joke for him. I just want to say congratulations, Matt. We hit 300 episodes. It's Matt Morgan. So my partner recently found out that I was cheating after she found all the letters I was hiding. She's uh, pretty mad, but she'll get over it though. Uh, she, she's just never going to play Scrabble with me again. <laughs> okay. Wow, dude. I was like, bold, bold move announcing some stuff in front of the internet about cheating. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Diff oh, different kind of cheating. My bad. I, I should spell it out better next time. <laughs> Very. <laughs> spell it out better. Wow. All right. And up next, I'm also going to say just a straight up congratulations on episode 300, dude. It's Dana Roach. Hi, Dana. <laughs> Uh, it, it is so cold here right now. I actually had to open the fridge to get some warm air. The <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. St standing in front of her, rubbing my hands together as the warm air poured out. You, you get an ice pack and put in your slippers just to keep your toes yeah, warm. Yeah, yeah. It also is cold here. I, I get it. Yeah, it's it's been pretty wild. Holy. All right. Well, guys, it's episode 300. Matt, what are we talking yeah. about on this 300th episode, dude? Well, this week, we're going to take a moment. We're going to uh, to do a little ask me anything type of episode. We haven't done a mailbag in quite a while. So we figured this is a good opportunity to field some questions from our listeners, from some friends of ours, and just kind of talk about the format and just where we are. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be really entertaining, but we've got a couple of shout outs to do before we jump into it. First and foremost, we got to thank Chase, aka Mana Curves, for their terrific work on the post-production of the show. Thank you so, so much, Chase. We love having you as part of the team. Uh, we're also excited to announce that we'll be part of Team Ultimate Guard in 2024. It was a pretty easy decision to make. I have all of my stuff in Ultimate Guard deck boxes anyway, so <laughs> it, it's a product that we are big fans of. 
and we're looking forward to working with them in 2024. I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of Ultimate Guard stuff. Their, their deck boxes, their boulders, if you love it, their katana sleeves, probably the best sleeves around. I don't know about you, Joey, but... Those boulders are so good. Those katanas are so slick. Yes. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> like, yeah. And like, they're smart hives. If you're trying to organize everything, just their, their storage is just top-notch. I just can't say enough about Ultimate Guard and... Yeah, we're excited to be part of it. Heck yeah. And also, if you would like to support the show, you can do so by leaving a comment, liking this video on YouTube, subscribing on YouTube, subscribe and leave a review on your local podcast app, or you can go to patreon.com slash edhretcast, where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. Whether you want to join our Discord community for as little as $2 a month, there's all that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast, including our weekly patron shout out. So this week, Tucker Craft, thank you so much. I see you crafted a very solid plan to go to patreon.com slash edhretcast to support us. Uh, I would say I, I'm trying to think of something good for Tucker, but I'm just out of ideas. <laughs> I would say the uh, the Tucker rule is back. We, we've we reinstated <laughs> the Tucker rule in Commander. That's my silly joke. There it is. I, I'm stuckered on Tucker. So oh my goodness. <laughs> shame on me. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tucker. Thank you to all of our patrons, all of the viewers and yes. listeners out there for supporting us through 300 freaking episodes. That is uh, wild. We're really excited to hit this milestone and we're going to... um. Do a little Q&A, a little AMA, just kick back and answer some questions from our friends and folks out there in the community. We solicited some questions from our patrons in our Patreon Discord. Um, yeah, this will this will be entertaining. Uh, Dana, I guess, where are we starting? What's the first question that we're going to answer here on this 300th episode AMA? Uh, first question we got here was from Tomar from MTG Goldfish. Um, what's a pet card you run despite it being unoptimal? Um, and I'll, I'll guess, Joey, what's what's your answer here? What card do you run that isn't optimal, but you can't not run it? I, I I fully put Liquid Metal Torque into every deck that I play these days. Like, and it's just good. Just turning stuff into artifacts is just fun. Even if I'm not in colors that can, like, destroy artifacts to get the extra benefit off of that, I still will put it into, like, my mono black decks or my Demir decks just in case someone else plays, like, a Reclamation Sage so that I can <laughs> destroy something with that. Yeah. Um, so that's probably my pick. I think that might be my answer, but it's just a good card. So, oh man, I just love it so much. I mean, judging by our, our mana rock rankings that we did a few weeks ago, that makes sense that you would put it into literally every deck that you could put it in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think for me though, like I know Rishkar's Expertise is a great card, but it's I still put it in decks. Like like you said, Joey, it's not great here. Like it, it's a good card, but like it's not really taking advantage. Like, okay, cool. I drew two cards and I got to do my extra thing maybe. But I still put it in every deck. I, I just, it's just one of my favorite cards of all time. Like I remember just laughing to myself the first time I cast it. I just want to feel that feeling all over again. Um, for me, I, I guess the first answer would be, I, I see a lot of people did like the, who even runs Frexian Arena anymore? I do. I like Frexian <laughs> Arena. And I, and I understand the arguments against it. It takes multiple turns for it to generate value commiserate to what it costs to cast. I still like it. I, it just was one of those cards that like feels good to have in play. I just never feel bad about it. And I absolutely could find better cards running that slot in every deck where I'm running it. And I don't care. It just feels good. <laughs> like I'm like I'm still playing EDH back in 2013. I love that <laughs> card. And the same is true of Reliquary Tower. I have Reliquary Tower in a ton of decks. I totally understand the arguments against running it in the Utility Land slot. There, there's a they all make sense to me and i don't care i want to hold on to all of my cards 
I want to have a full grip. I'm still running Reliquary Tower despite all the reasons that I completely understand to no longer be running it. I mean, you do get to pay life to draw cards, which is what you like to do, Dana. So absolutely love doing that. Nobody's I don't think anybody's surprised by our picks here. No, honestly, no. Just like the the only thing that's maybe surprising is that Dana's pick of Reliquary Tower is a card that I actively avoid because I want to discard a hand size so that I can reanimate things more easily. Like <laughs> uh, moving to our next question here, we actually got the same question from two different folks. So one of our uh, Discord patrons, Tube of Glue, and also our friend Lenny Wooley, who's a writer for Idiotrek, both asked us, what's your favorite deck that you don't own? Mm. Um, and I, I know my answer for this, and I'm, I'm actually, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to jump right into it because my favorite deck that I don't own that I've ever seen someone else play is actually Rachel Weeks's Clue deck that she built like years and years ago where she's actually using the cards from the Clue game, <laughs> like Colonel Mustard and the Wrench and, and all of those. And like before <laughs> the game begins, she will set up one of those mysteries in the in the like little folder. And then like as she makes clues in the game, she will flip over like, oh, it's Miss Scarlet. Oh, here's the Miss Picard card. Here's the ballroom or whatever. So she's like playing an EDH game. I think it's like her Eloise Clue deck or whatever and making a bunch of Clue tokens. But she's also trying to solve the mystery of whatever's in that little folder. And she's playing two games at once and it blew my freaking mind. I love that one so much. So that is absolutely a thing I've got to shout out here. I, I love that deck just to bits. I mean, Rachel is pretty good at just coming up with these wacky and funny and also just like fun to watch decks. So I, I'm not surprised to hear that. Uh, I think my choice for the deck that I don't own is a, I don't own it yet type of situation where <laughs> the cats and dogs secret layer deck. Uh, yeah, please. I don't need any cats, but I want the dogs. Um, so I, I might like hit up some artists at the next event at Magic Con Chicago, maybe if you folks want to see see us there. Uh, maybe get some altars done for some some sweet dog art. But that's that's just me. That anointed procession art is precious, gorgeous. A couple of years ago, and this was actually, um, I believe, in Chicago, 2019, at the Command Fest, they had smaller event. Um, I, I ran into a person who pulled out their Atraxa deck, and did the oh no this attracts a deck is different it's a different you know it's not it's not that attracts a deck and it in fact was not that attracts a deck hey it was a horror typal deck because attracts is an angel horror okay and yeah. we've gotten some pretty some we've gotten some decent horrors since then there were not decent horrors in 2019 and for whatever reason <laughs> yeah they were it was a bunch of really terrible horror creature types almost all of which were old border because they were all old cards um, but the deck worked, and I just appreciated that level of deep dive. It was just a really, like, somebody who had an idea and ran with the idea and didn't care about the fact that I was was forced to run 16 of the 17 terrible horrors from, you know, back in Stronghold. Um, I, so that was, the, that, that was an experience that I walked away from really appreciating what that person did and, and their commitment to, like, thinking outside the box. That's terrific, yeah. Well, and Dana, that's always such a fun feeling is seeing something that is super unique to people. And just, for me, it makes it such a great experience to play against, which actually, that leads into our next question that comes from one of our listeners, Sam. They asked, what are your co-hosts' favorite decks to play against and why? So what are your favorite decks to play against? Because I know my answer. I'll give mine right away. It's my favorite deck to play against is the one that is the most unique to that person that I'm playing with. Mm. It's always fun. Like I know how I brew decks. And so I like getting to see how other people get to brew their own decks and see what comes from other people's minds. It's the same reason I don't like to read books, but I'll watch the movie. 
Uh, I, I'll admit, I actually interpreted this question a little bit differently. I thought that Sam might have been asking about, like, for me, for instance, what is my favorite deck of Danas and my favorite deck of Matt to play against? Sure. Um, I might have been misinterpreting their question. I'm not sure. But the answer that I prepared was that Matt's Raga Draga deck is never not an absolute blast to play against mm -hmm. because of just the oh no moments that can happen from that and how cool it is to see Raga Draga pumping up all of those things that you bequeath mana abilities upon. Um, and then for Dana, I love the the fact that both Vela and Asperia can like, they're obvious with what they're going to do to you and yet they still manage to sneak up on you. And I don't know how you do that, but it's very, very cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, my interpretation of this too was a little bit different. What's your <laughs> deck that, to, to play against like strategy-wise, strategically, that kind of thing. Oh. Um, and, and I always think of my, my friend Max Crandall, who I used to do a show Commander Central with, has a Brago deck. And, and it's a very kind of what you would expect from a Brago deck, right? It's blinking things for a tremendous amount of value. Um, but there's something about the deck that feels fair. Brago's kind of a busted commander, and it's doing a bunch of busted things. But I can see the inflection points. Mm. Brago has to deal combat damage to trigger the thing. So you kind of, for the most part, know, okay, I need to keep Brago from doing this. So if I have a blocker or I can move this around or keep this from happening, I can see what I have to do. So as long as I can execute, I can, I, I can compete against it. And if, I, and if I mess up, everything falls apart. And I like that feeling of playing against a deck where I'm walking on that edge, where I feel like if I do everything at the absolute best that I can do it and, and execute to the best of my abilities, I can win this game, but it's in my hands to not drop the ball. I like that feeling in a deck. That that particular deck makes me feel that way. But but any deck where I feel like it's it's in my hands to keep the thing from winning and put myself in a position to win the game. I, I like that vibe. Nice. I love that we all had completely different interpretations of this very straightforward question. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 What's wrong with us? <laughs> like well, there was kind of a sub-question here, too, um, from the fellows at One More Mana. They asked, if you had to adopt one of your co-host decks, and that's the only deck you could play for a year, which one would it be and why? Ooh. That's a really good question. I I think between the both of your decks, I really like the decks that, like, they, they get their setup, and then they just explode. Mm. And it's, it's just kind of hard to, like, deal with the explosion of value, and you get overrun with it. So I think, Dana, your Itch Techic deck is absolutely a blast to play against and just watch it explode. And, Joey, in the same way, your plus one, plus one counters deck, your partner commanders, um, they just sit around in Ishai all of a sudden, like, before you know it, has 14, 15 counters. And then you double it somehow, and then you double it again somehow, and then we're dead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love, love moving those around. Oh, this is such an interesting question, Dana. Do you have a? Do you ever like? You, you have to pick one of my decks. What are you playing? <laughs> your your baby was on your deck, and yeah, there, there's a mini game going on. Yeah. So everything that everything you sacrifice takes resources away from you, but you're drawing cards. So you're trying to find this balance where like you get the most efficient use of things you sacrifice to draw the most cards that are hurting your board state. So you're kind of playing two games at once. You're playing the larger game you're trying to win, and you're playing a mini game with your own board to try to generate the most value. And you can screw that mini game up. Yeah. Like it's it, it, it's there's not a clear choice every time you have to make intelligent decisions. I like the fact that like it's forcing you to be a good player. 
Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that there was a compliment hidden in there and I will take that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> for for each of y'all's, for Dana, I'll quickly say Dana's got that Tivash Gloom Summoner deck, which is playing around with like how much life you've lost. And I'm still looking for a place to put all the parts of my old Greven deck uh, back together because I enjoy playing with life loss as a strategy. Um, but I want more colors than just Tivash. But like, I do miss that strategy enough that I'd be like, mm, if I were to pick from Dana, that would be it. But I think my first instinct when I saw that question was uh, Matt's Victus as Mati the Dire deck, <laughs> uh, which is the Jund thing that lets you cheat stuff into play. The, the Jund thing do... is a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you're cheating stuff into play. You're killing stuff. There's a little bit of randomness. There's a little bit of control going on there. You get to sneak attack things. Like it looks very straightforward, but then it will also just oopsie hasty the entire board out of nowhere and I, you, you know me i i like i like cheating stuff into play and you get to sacrifice stuff for value like that's that's got me written all over it i think that's like a vibe that like i couldn't live without sacrificing things for more than a year <laughs> so i've got to say vivictus you're sacrificing you're reanimating there's 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 a lot of joey notes in that deck and I, i'm glad that you enjoy that also, can we really quick, uh, the one more mana guys said Ken and Derek also left us a bonus question that is thoroughly not magic related that says, <laughs> also, if aliens invaded Earth and declared that you had to perform an interpretive dance for the fate of humanity, what song are you picking? <laughs> we have to answer this, Bleeding you guys. Bleeding Love by Leona Lewis. <laughs> that was fast. <laughs> I I only know the answer so quickly because I have done that. Not, not for the sake of, like, for the fate of the planet, um, but if you are at... Uh, the Galaxy Bowl in Edina, Minnesota back in 2010 or so, you would have seen me doing an interpretive dance to that very song. That's amazing. Um, Matt, though, I think that the obvious answer is uh, clearly Fergalicious. Uh, that's okay, just... That's okay. Just... <laughs> Fergalicious deaf. Dana, do you have a pick? <laughs> I, I, for me, it would have been um, Varro by Sigur Rós in reference to um, the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode, Mac finds his pride that closes out there with, we the, go. Uh, Ooh. with a five to seven minute interpretive dance in front of a prison. Oh, wow. Okay. Dana going for the heartfelt one. Dana, went, here, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Dana yeah. went a very different direction than we did. Yeah, um, honestly. <laughs> By the way, thank you to said Ken and Derek for such an amazing question. We yes, love you guys. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, so the next question, let's keep plugging along here. Uh, Chase, our, one of our editors, our very f lovely people, uh, Ask us the question, what is a legendary creature that made you fall in love with the format? And I, I think we've talked about this before, but it, it would be nice to hear this all over again. What about you guys? Uh, for me, Glissa the Traitor. Um, it, it's a, a great creature. It's great art. It has a great ability. It's a great chunk of lore and story. Glissa being like the hero of one block and the tragedy of, of her as a character being turned into a Phyrexian and no one knows it was against her will and happened, you know, not intentionally. And everyone thinks, hence the traitor portion. Mm -hmm. um, my, my favorite little bit of magic storyline, I think ever, in addition to being a fantastic card and a great deck. And it was just everything at once in one little rectangle of cardboard. Nice. That's a really cool answer. Also, Golgari, hey, what's up? There we go. Um, <laughs> For me, Mimeoplasm was the first commander deck that I ever played, and it I think it ignited the spark. It is still, I think, my favorite legendary creature design ever, like combining two creatures, smushing them together to see what ridiculous T-Rex combination you can make is terrific and leads to so many different things that you can do. Uh, and I think that that like, gave the spark, but the one that really cemented it or that like fanned those flames was Titania, Protector of Argoth. Uh, just like finding a new thing that I can sacrifice that isn't just creatures. It kind of like turned me into the madman that I am today. <laughs> um, so probably those two are, are like high, high up on my list of things that made me like, oh, I'm a commander player for sure now. 
How about you, Matt? Uh, so it turns out I have a type and Mael the Anima was, that was my first commander, but also I, I kind of realized like, oh, okay, maybe this commander format is okay after all, because I was a big naysayer at first. I was like, this, this sounds dumb. That doesn't sound interesting. <laughs> and then I played a Mael deck and I haven't left. I mean, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However many years later, 10 plus years, just cheating big things into play. And so, yeah, my Ellie Anima just absolutely hit the right chord of just, oh, this is this is what I want to do from here on out. That's so true. You can really trace the through line from your Myel deck to your Vevictus deck, cheating enormous creatures right you into play. very much can, yeah. Some of the very same creatures, in fact. Right, yeah. um, and, and this actually does connect to another question that we got from two different folks. Uh, so one of our patrons, New Lou, uh, submitted this question. And uh, Jen from the uh, streaming couple Filthy Casuals also asked, how does your first EDH deck or commander compare to your most recent one? So Matt, you were just talking about Myel. Was that your first commander deck? And how does it compare to the most recent thing that you've built so that was my very first commander deck and yeah it was just big plotting and it just makes things go boom my most recent commander deck actually is arden and kettis which is it's all about slapping a bunch of equipments onto just one creature and just turning things sideways so i'm dealing a lot of combat damage in one turn still but the way that i'm doing it is very very different and i just happened well i guess too Back then, my my L deck, it was mostly back in the age of when you know, I only want to build decks out of packs that I open. Mm. And this Arden and Kettis deck is that, actually. It was just, it's literally just stuff that I had laying around or cards that I open in packs because a friend of mine gave me some Commander Legends packs. So that's how that entire deck has come to be. And so it, it it's, there's a little bit of overlap there, but... The speed is very much different, though. That's I think that's going to be the biggest difference. I still brew the same way I did when I first put my first deck together, very like slowly and purposefully, and doing you know deep searches for like a really specific combination of words on a card that will do this thing I wanted to do for this one particular deck. I was doing that from the first deck I brewed, and I'm still doing it now. Um, I would say the main thing that's different is is I'm aware of things like. Um, how's this game going to end? Am I going to win? Versus back then when I'm like, I'm, I just had this idea and I'm going to build this idea. And there was no thought to like, how would I close the game out with this idea? Other than hope someone was at three life when I had a three, three in play and they didn't have any blockers. That was my plan. Mm. Um, whereas today I'm much more conscious of like, at some point I need to figure out, okay, I have this idea. Does this idea have the ability to like push me to an end point in the game? How can I make, how can I get from, from point A to point B? And I didn't do that at all back in the day. No, that's a really good point. That's something that I've noticed too, is that like I have a, a section in my deck list dedicated to the oomph. Se- like that's my oomph cards or my, or my win condition cards where I certainly did not used to build that way. I just sort of took it for granted that eventually games would end. So that's a, a, a really astute observation. For me, my first deck uh, in Commander was obviously the Mimeoplasm. I got that pre-con, which is all about, you know, cheating things into play, brutal efficiency, tons of death. Um, and I was fully one of those, like, Grave Pact all day kind of players when I first started off. Uh, I've certainly changed a lot from that. I still love cheating things into play. Um, but, like, now the most recent deck that I've built is fully, like, a Jeskai Rule Zero deck. Uh, and that's, I'm like, I don't recognize this person <laughs> anymore. Um, and this is the Rule Zero deck where every time that I cast the commander again from the command zone, it's actually, like, evolved into the next version of that character in their story. So, like, I'm prioritizing very, very silly stuff compared to my very deadly beginnings in the format. So I'm happy to see, I call that character growth, I think. I think. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll let it count as character growth, yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Well, that's been a lot of really awesome questions so far, and we have plenty more 
But we have a quick thing we've got to pause to do before we move on, and that is challenging the stats, because there's a whole bunch of data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. So here in our 300th episode, we are going to challenge those stats after a very quick break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So I'll get us started off this week and I've been going through and just trying to find some different ways that people approach the game. And, and Jesse Plotkin, who writes articles over at EDHREC, who writes the Singleton Schmingleton article series, just talking about being able to find multiple copies of different types of effects, had a really good synergy that I just wanted to kind of drive in and, and just kind of expand on. So Lazelle's Acrobatics is a card I just totally missed over. Just leave it to Baldur's Gate being the set that two years later is still giving us so many gems. Yeah. So Lizelle's Acrobatics is three and a white for an instant that says, exile all non-token creatures you control, then roll a d20, and on a one to nine roll, you return those cards to the battlefield under their, uh, under their owner's control at the beginning of the next end step, or if you hit a 10 to 20, you return those cards to the battlefield under their owner's control, then exile them again and return them to the battlefield under their owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So if you're playing anything that likes to flicker any given spell, um, maybe like a Panharmonicon deck. I just think this is absolutely a card you want to be giving another look at. I mean, yes, there, there's a lot of decks out there. It, Panharmonicon is in almost 150,000 decks. And there's all sorts of different versions of Panharmonicon now with the new Elish Norn that doubles your triggers. And there's a few, but not a ton of ways to kind of get more triggers out of this. So Lazelle's Acrobatics is only played in 24% of decks also running Panharmonicon. If you want to double and then double the double, which is a math lesson I'm not ready to give to all of you here, <laughs> this is absolutely a fantastic card that's going to save your board. It's going to return them at the beginning of the next end step, which means you can dodge board wipes and also get all those triggers. And if you roll well, you're gonna get so many more triggers there. It's just an incredible value card. Absolutely worth running. And I, like I said, Baldur's Gate, I forgot this card existed. And this is a great reminder that Baldur's Gate is so, going to still give us cards probably for the next five years, I would wager. But yeah, if you're playing Panharmonic or just any deck that loves Enter the Battlefield abilities, Lazelle's Acrobatics is a fantastic card. And you say if you roll well, but like, isn't it even slightly more than half the time? That's what you're going to get. Just like with the math on it. Like, yeah, you don't even need to roll well. You know? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, good odds. Very good odds. Yeah. And, and there's other cards similar to this semester's end. It has the same mana cost. 
that brings them in with plus one plus one counters or loyalty counters. There's a whole slew of cards like this, but Lazelle's Acrobatics, if you just really want to go hard with ETB triggers, I don't think there's many cards that are gonna be better than that. Yeah, yeah. the times that you get that double blink benefit, it's just gonna be, that is so mm -hmm. much value. It'll be very difficult for your opponents to catch up. And if you're doing it like to save from a board wipe, Matt, I love this. I absolutely love this. What a cool card. Um, I'll move to my challenge now. And it's a little bit of a recycled challenge from uh, a bit ago. On a past episode, I believe I once talked about how Kadena Slinking Sorcerer can actually make use of the card Mystic Forge because of some weird stuff. Kadena Slinking Sorcerer is the Soul Time Morph Commander, and Mystic Forge is that strange four mana artifact that says you can look at the top card of your library at any time, you may cast artifact spells and colorless spells from the top of your library, and you can also uh, tap it, pay a life, and exile the top card of your library. Um, the reason that this is relevant for Kadena is because you can actually cast morph spells this way, which seems counterintuitive, but according to the rulings on Mystic Forge's Scryfall page, if the top card of your library has a morph ability, you can cast it face down from the top of your library, even if it's not normally a colorless card. So that's awesome, and the reason that I want to recycle it here, I mean, yeah, it's relevant that it's only showing up currently in 26% of the 4,600 decks uh, for Kadena currently, but also in the murders at Karlov Manor, not Markov Manor. At the, the, we've just gotten some... <laughs> I'm going to have to correct myself every single time with that said. Um, we've also just gotten uh, the set mechanic Disguise, where you can once again cast cards face down for three mana as a 2-2 colorless creature. And it happens to have... Ward 2, because of course it does. <laughs> Everything needs to have Ward 2 these days. But if this is another way to create colorless things, then Mystic Forge will help you cast those Disguise cards too, I assume. There's no reason to assume that it would work any differently than the current way that uh, Morph works. So yeah, look at Mystic Forge if you're going to end up playing any of those Disguise or Morph synergies, because this is a really cool way to get those creatures off the top of your deck and right into play where you want them. So give Mystic Forge a look. Tube of Glue gave us a question we read a few minutes ago, but... Uh, they are also the suggester of this week's uh, listener challenge of stats. Um, and Tubaglu writes, time for everyone's favorite pastime, non-bow challenges. Ooh. And this time I'm going to keep it short. Shrine is not a creature type. Uh, it's an enchantment type. And therefore, 78% of eligible Goshen Tie of Life Origins decks should be reconsidering the roaming throat they include in their deck because it can't choose Shrine or can't choose your commanders as a creature type at all. Um, there's maybe some decks out there that have enough other things you could choose that could justify it, but I would wager of that 78% running it, 90% of those are running it because they think they can say Shrine and, and you, in fact, can't in that deck. So mm -hmm. that great novel, great fine tube of glue. Good question earlier. Thank you very much for supporting the show and being uh, a great listener. Yeah, short, sweet, to the point. We love non-bow challenges here, and that's a very tricky one. Shrine being an enchantment subtype rather than a creature type. Yeah, it's hard to catch, but that is definitely relevant. So keep your eye out for any of those cards that you'd want to put into your shrine deck to put your creatures, because there are enchantment creatures, but the shrine is part of the enchantment part, not part of the creature part, which is weird. This this game is weird. This game has weird rules, you guys. That, that, that one's very unintuitive. I, I, I would have made that mistake myself. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we will get back into our main topic here. I believe our next uh, question comes to us from user Lightfoot, one of our patrons here. Uh, and this is actually a really fitting question to have right after Challenge the Stats because they're asking, is there a particular Challenge the Stats or Challenge the Stats segue that you're especially proud of? 
Um, Matt, Matt, I know that you and I are on the same wavelength with with regards to this question. I don't have one. Yeah, I I have some that like I'm proud of. But my favorite all-time Segway, I think, is actually Dana's, where he started talking yeah. about the person who invented the Segway scooter. <laughs> and yeah. I had no idea what he was talking about until it finally clicked. And I just, I remember laughing so hard. It was just absolutely out of left field. It was one of the true, like, probably the reason it was such a joy to do last year uh, <laughs> as far as stealing the Segways. But yeah, that, that's still my favorite. Big same. Absolutely big same. That was so, he was just like, do you know who Dean Kamen is? And I'm just like, Dana, we're doing an EDH podcast episode. What are you talking about? And then it just like clunked into place. And it was like, no, my life is flashing before my eyes. <laughs> well, thank you both very much for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, in, in terms of like the actual like specifics of a challenge, the stats uh, thing, not just the segues, I do like uh, sort of like we just saw with Tube of Glue. I like those non-bow uh, non sort of identifiers. Um, so one that I definitely come back to a lot are those kind of unintuitive things of, for, for instance, one that I really enjoyed was in coin flip decks, like a Zender Split and Okound deck, there are cards like the card Mana Clash, which are worded slightly differently. They don't care about coin, winning coin flips. They care about whether the result of the coin flip is heads or tails, and that does not count as winning a coin flip. And those are, again, small weird things to that can trip you up a whole lot, but there are those types of cards that at first seem like they are a cert for that deck, but actually super aren't. So that's one that I really enjoy pointing out, is that like, hey, this will definitely, you know, this unfortunately doesn't work in your deck um even though it totally feels like it should it's worded very slightly differently and that can help people avoid any oops or gotcha moments in a game any feel bads moments like that so those are some of my favorite challenges for sure those are the ones that i like most when we do them yeah stuff like the one from tube of glue today about the nanbo that there was i think the first one i remember um that jumped out at me was i think matt did propaganda in super friends decks really early on yeah this propaganda doesn't prevent you from attacking planeswalkers and that was, again, one of those ones where not only do, is it a good challenge, it was useful because I don't know if I'd ever made that connection prior to that. So it, it was a good challenge because it taught me something too. And I like those ones where like it's a, you, you catch a real interesting interaction that even is useful for us. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I yeah the non-bows are just always the ones we, we mention them when we do that because we like them so much. And just, it's easy to find a pet card that, you know, oh, I, I think this card could see more play. The, the whole format is full of cards that could see more play, but it's it's always fun to see, especially when something that just actively does not work or does something you don't want it to do. That's when we really just enjoy hearing that because yeah. it just requires that next step of thinking. We, we hope that we're sparking that on our listeners as well. Okay, so now moving into another question. This one comes to us from our friend Olivia Gobert-Hicks, who's on the rules committee, who's asking us some little punch here, here guys. How does data get skewed by pre-cons and how can people avoid that issue? I feel like I can already hear Matt's brain firing with an answer he's eager to get to. <laughs> yeah. So Matt, will let you answer first. <laughs> well, so I, I do like this question and it's something that we sometimes feel like, well, you're, you're pretending that the data is perfect. No. Never once in the history of EDHREC have we ever no. <laughs> said this is perfect information, perfect data. Joey, you like to say this is not prescriptive. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to put it. And so I personally, and, and you guys I know like these tools too, but it, for me personally, 
there's two different tools that we like to use on the website. One is advanced filters, the best part of the website far and away, mm. but also there's a precon upgrade tool in there as well. So if you can plug in any of the given precon commanders, it's gonna show you what people are cutting, what people are adding into those decks, and it makes it a lot easier to navigate. So when you combine those two, I like to take the cards that people are cutting the most and then going to that commander's page using the advanced filter to exclude the cards you want to cut. Yep. A lot of people kind of think that advanced filters, you want to look at cards that or decks that are playing any given card. Well, you can also do it the other way around. You can only look at decks that are not playing any given card. I think that is a fantastic way to cut out a lot of the noise that might be interfering with pre-constructed deck commanders. Same way we talk with CEDH. If you want to look at a commander that maybe has a CEDH reputation, use advanced filters and exclude out the decks that are playing Mox Diamond. It's an absolutely fantastic tool to help get more specific d data to what you want to be looking for. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. To go back to the, the, the precon thing really briefly, um, we actually had a name for that, uh, the precon effect, particularly uh, years ago, um, because the data would get so skewed by a precon, people would just en enter their entire list and it would look like, you know, the 100 cards from the precon were the optimal or, or the ones people were playing the most because they were just the defaults that they were entering. Um, but that was back in a time when we'd get four or five commander decks a year, and that was it. So like people would just enter their decks. I think today we live in a world where when we get 50 commander decks a year, I think, number one, you just see way less of that because people, mm. everyone isn't buying the same four decks. There's too many decks for people to buy, and I, I think therefore they're not entering this everyone's not putting the same copy, the same version of that Jaleva deck out there because that everyone everyone bought it once upon a time because there was only a couple of commander decks coming out. And I, I think the data is less skewed from precons today than it was seven years ago. I, I think that the biggest success that I've had with pre-constructed deck commanders is either use advanced filters and include a shock land, just one, in that commander's colors. Yeah. Because that's a good way to signify if a... a person who uploaded the deck has gone through and they really just created the mana base from scratch or exclude one of the random lands that they put in there. One of those common lands that entered the battlefield tapped. Maybe it's like an Urborg volcano or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Exclude that out of the deck list that you're going to look at. That instantly gets you 100% better results when you're looking at the advanced filters. That might be the most helpful tool when it comes to getting rid of all of the noise with the, the pre-cons that people just load up on the websites. That that right there might be the best that I've had luck with. No notes, complete cosine on all of that. Yeah, it's such a, a terrific, terrific tool. Uh, and, and you know, some sometimes people do get a little confused. Uh, they think that EDHREC will scrape data uh, from like any deck building websites. Like we'll scrape exact precon duplicates. We don't, but there are still those you know times where a thing can look close enough to the precon. A couple of cards were changed, ten cards were changed. That there is still that influence there. But yeah, Matt, you're absolutely right. Advanced filters will help you find the stuff that is better tailored to the things that you want to play. And it's such a lovely, lovely tool. And uh, that question from Olivia actually also kind of gets us into another question from Rachel Weeks of Command Zone fame, uh, asking us yet another kind of punchy one here, you guys. How has EDHREC changed the landscape of Commander? Uh, kind of a kind of a big one there. Um, is there that, that is a huge question. Uh, yeah. Do, do you want to take the first bite, first crack at it? I'll let Dana take the first one so that I can gather all my thoughts together. So, okay. okay. <laughs> so, so at a high level, um, let me throw a little bit of background information or, or, or explanation out there. 
and say math changes everything, mm. whether it's like the, the game of baseball in the last 10, 15 years has changed significantly because of things like launch angle. We're like, they've just, they, they've broken down the math behind the way you swing. And statistically speaking, swinging at this angle, maybe making the ball leave the bat at this angle results in more home runs, results in more safe hits, whatever. The NBA and, and the discovery of like the statistics behind three pointers versus shooting a you know long two pointer whatever. Right. Whenever you throw math into the equation, it changes or, or or gives you better understanding of how things work, and that applies to everything from from gaming to sports to to sales to politics to whatever. Um, it, it's it, it shouldn't be a surprise that someone did the same thing here with with Magic and Commander, and Commander is a perfect way to do that. So. It was going to happen. It happens in everything. Um, so when people say, you know, EDH Rec has has done this or that to Commander, it was going to happen. The the math is you're you're not going to keep the math from getting out, the statistics from getting out. Um, so yeah, it, it 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 happened and it changed Commander in the same way that that the launch angle changed baseball. People figured out how to better optimize their decks. Some folks that, that that led to the birth of CDH in, in some aspects, and it led to some people like being more conscious and toning their decks down and not following that to the natural endpoint. Um, but yeah, very much decks are decks are definitely much more efficient and faster than they were ten years ago, in large part because of things like EDH Rec. Well, and Dana, you put it really well, and I, I have to agree. If EDH Rec didn't come around, there's a lot of smart people that play this game. And one of those smart people would have put the pieces together to to do effectively what EDH Rec is doing. And so it it, it just happens to be in this current form and, and we just happen to be yeah. getting to represent it effectively. Um, as far as what EDH Rec, though, has done to the landscape of Commander, mm. I think that the exchange of information has just accelerated so stinking fast. Like people are able to solve yeah. things so much quicker. And that doesn't apply just to Commander. I think it applies to every Magic format. People are able to, I mean, we had cards that were printed in, in the the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. They were banned, what, two weeks after they were printed because people solved those formats mm -hmm. so quickly. And I just, EDH Rec is the tool that helps transmit all that information from player to player. But I think that's the biggest thing is EDH Rec just made all of the information so much easier to parse instead of just looking at individual deck lists. So you're able to see a format's worth of information. Now, we had to sort it out for players to get it digestible a little bit. But as far as just the speed of information, that's just really that's the culture we're living in as well. Everybody's living in, in this instant gratification type of mode. And I think EDH Rec is just kind of the representation of that that instant gratification culture in the Magic the Gathering commander specific space. When World of Warcraft was released 19 years ago, it took I think it was 150 some days for the first raid to be completely cleared. When when WoW Classic was released a few years ago, which was which was functionally that original game, it happened in it, it, measurable by hours. Yeah. So like within you know three or four days, that first raid was cleared because. The information was available to people. People were aware of the math. They were aware of how the fights work. That that data was something that like someone at some point in time was going to take and break down. And 
that happens in everything. Yeah, ease of information is always just going to be such a positive for, for me. I, I, I fundamentally don't miss the days of riffling through 800 boxes of game stores to try and find something that I might maybe play in a deck. Yeah. I, don't, I don't miss the days of posting a deck list online and then a whole bunch of people online telling me that I'm an idiot for missing these really key ob obvious key cards or, or stuff like that. Um, and I'm actually just going to pull a quote from uh, Josh Lee Kwai here. I think uh, summed it up really, really well. We're in the information age. If you're going to complain about information being available to people, hey, good luck to you, but I'm sorry you belong in a different century. Yeah. And I just think that's really well said. Really well said, man. <laughs> well, and, and even then, like, yes, EDH rec is kind of the, we, 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 we can live with the fact that like, we take the brunt of that, of the, well, we're, we're speeding up information, but Scryfall is an absolutely fantastic tool too. And, and, oh yeah. I mean, Wizards of the Coast runs off of Scryfall these days. Yeah. <laughs> like the fact that Gather doesn't really work all that well. Uh, Scryfall is such an incredible tool too. So like, I think the people buying Scryfall would have come up with something similar. I think, I mean, there's a reason that we get to work with the folks over at Architect because they have great minds about the game too. So that at Moxfield too, like there's so many great minds about this game. Mm -hmm. Surely something was going to come along sooner or later. Yeah. And it's also like, you know, tools are definitely in how you use them because like advanced filters and those theme filters will help you dissect things to find something that is more useful to you. Dana is famous for using EDHREC specifically to avoid what other people are doing. And that's another terrific way to use that. Or EDHREC is like unparalleled in its ability to help you browse through individual deck lists because it's got a whole bunch of them mm -hmm. logged there. And also when new cards come out, one of the ways that we tend to measure the success of those products is by their impact of their newest cards. And EDHREC can help serve as one of those weather vanes. And I, I find that uh, really helpful that it can sometimes uh, signal in on things like, yeah. you know, card impact or, or format health. Um, and it's, it, it, it's 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 really fun. It's really neat. I know that a lot of people out there, if they are in a critical mood, they'll be like, oh, Idiotrek homogenizes things. But I'm just going to submit that, you know, if Tom Bombadil is printed, people are still going to build it as a saga commander, regardless of whether Idiotrek exists or not. <laughs> yeah. Call is yeah. coming from inside the Bombadil. Like, that's kind of where I did not need to use Idiotrek to find more cards for my Tom Bombadil list. That was that was purely from scryfall.com search saga. That was all it took. And also, it's called EDH recommendations, not EDH. We're forcing you to play these cards. Like that's the other thing for me. <laughs> like, well, how about let's let's get into a question about cards that we have to force Dana to play. <laughs> so, April Mary Thief has a question, and it just says, "What is your favorite basic land art? Does it vary by the deck they're used in, or do you have a favorite for all decks?" Dana, what a great question for you. Yeah, <laughs> who doesn't run basics ever? <laughs> Stomping ground. That's his favorite basic art. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, I, I do run <laughs> basics in, in my decks, just not probably enough. Um, I, I do tend to. So I, I run matched basics in my decks and I, I tend to try to match something thematic from the deck, although not always. I think my favorite, I, I like old frame basics from back in the day, old border stuff. Mm -hmm. I think Odyssey has some tremendous basics, particularly the forests. So my, my first deck, my Glissa deck is still running old foil basic odyssey lands i just love the way those look but i've I, I try to also match them up thematically if i can so let my my itchtechic deck that's making golems i'm running the basic lands from um the, the recent it was it was it marshall uh, machines marshall machines that had the lands with the golem or the the, the, the mm -hmm. robot kind of looking creatures in the art yeah um, might have been brothers war i forget whichever one it was so I'm using those basics in that deck, the full art versions of those. So I try to match when I can, but yeah, I, I do put time into choosing my basics for sure. Yeah, Odyssey probably has overall some of my favorite Mercadian Masks is another great block for basics. 
Onslaught also. Like the any of the old war and in that era of cards, those were just some of my favorite basics. Both for the art, I like the old border. Uh, I also, I'm, I'm not a monster. I make sure all my basics match. Except for one deck, I very specifically in my Valda. I was going to say you have one deck where they don't, but though. but it's very <laughs> intentional. It's no art can be repeated, including the island that I scribbled mountain on top of. Can I confess to you guys? I've actually been afraid of answering this question because I've become a little accidentally famous for a joke about a Sam Burley island from March of the Machines. <laughs> oh, the, the, the ex-boyfriend, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll just leave it there. Um, although I'm glad that he found someone, the snow-covered island from... Anyway, I'm going to move on. Um, I do like, Dana, I'm with you. I also like uh, theming my lands. Uh, I enjoy using, for example, like the bolus lands with the horns in my Virtus deck because Virtus also has horns, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I do get a little bit bummed out when sometimes like to optimize a mana base, you have to... Like, it feels feels the correct to mix and match snow basics to uh, get different names for Field of the Dead. Um, and then I don't get to play as many of the basic land art that I want to, but it is still fun to get that extra benefit from stuff like Field of the Dead. Or when I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm using an extra planar lens in this mono colored deck. So like snow lands are less likely to appear across the field for me. So like if I really want to get super optimal here, then playing snow lands is probably what I should do for this. That like there are some of those little moments that do occasionally bum me out. But when I can theme the basics, I absolutely want to because it is just really fun to try and find those things yeah yeah next question we have here is coming from uh, alta biscuit and it's what's a lesser known hobby or interest you have that isn't magic related um man well, I, so i post fairly often about just magic fitness it's one thing that i i've been doing most of my life um i like powerlifting. i like working out just staying active um social sports leagues i i can't say casual because like we do get Worked up every now and then, uh, but but it is fun just to like go play like it, sand volleyball. I do it when the weather's nice and not negative thirty degrees. Uh, but indoor soccer is another fun winter sport for me. But also, I do have other nerdy hobbies. Like I I play a lot of video games. I like League of Legends. I put I think about like one hundred and sixty hours in Starfield. I I very much enjoy Starfield. So I still play video games. I still get nerdy, but. I was like, I like being active. I like going out and, and doing things too, which is, I wish I could hike more, but I'm in Kansas now. So uh, honestly, I love this question because it's nice to remember that there's so much more to the world outside of the silly card game that we play and talk about every week. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. I've, I've also gotten pretty big into fitness over the past two years and it's been a, a wonder, a big life-changing thing for me there. Um, but like genuinely if i'm going to take this moment to like rhapsodize about a thing that i really enjoy i gotta shout out the magnus archives which is like my favorite podcast to ever exist in the ever it's it's my favorite media period um it's it is a horror podcast by rusty quill it is a clean exact 200 episodes about 20 minutes per episode it is a horror drama show but i've listened through it like six times because it's so thrilling and it tells us long sprawling epic tale genuinely it did everything that game of thrones should have done like the, the show's so cool i would host a full other podcast just talking about how much i love this podcast like that i'm fully obsessed <laughs> with the magnus archives like uh so seriously give it uh give it a look i've I, i've gotten so many of my friends to, to listen to this and they're, they're all like yeah this is really good because i just i'm, I'm absolutely obsessed um but at the risk of starting an extra podcast i'm just gonna let dana answer this question now <laughs> um I, i'm a pretty big music nerd i particularly collect vinyl um so like when the weather's nice, especially a lot of times on a Saturday morning, I'll get on my bike and hit whatever like garage sale, estate sales I see that I think are going to have albums and dig through. And you know, I'm looking for certain specific things. That's so cool. Um, so I, I, I've got a pretty decent vinyl collection that I actually work towards like finding things. It's not just about buying the thing. It's about like 
discovering it and finding some hidden gem somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, so that's something that's a big hobby of mine. I read a lot too. I'm a big reader. Um, a lot of like fantasy sci-fi stuff. I'm doing a reread of um, Stephen Erickson's Malazan Book of the Fallen right now, um, which is like 10 volumes. And then there's, you know, another probably 10-ish supplementary books. Um, that's probably, I would say, easily the best fantasy series I've ever read. So I, I, I usually try to read a couple hundred pages of something per day. Nice. Couple hundred pages. That's more than I read. I, I'm a pretty fast reader, so yeah, oh. I usually can I, I can read that in an hour-ish. Like like I said earlier, I will watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like we just got the Demir experience and the Selesnia experience, <laughs> the Naya gruel over there. <laughs> that was yeah. <laughs> couldn't couldn't have better. I mean, it's not gruel. I'm not lighting the book on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair. <laughs> That's so good. All right, guys. Um, this next one is also a bit of a heavy hitter, but I, I think it's a really nice, a really introspective question. It comes to uh, it comes to us from our friend Donnie, also of the uh, streaming couple Filthy Casuals. Um, and Donnie asked, "How do y'all cope with the downside of content creation?" I can only imagine the negativity. I mean, for me, the big thing is just remembering who we do it for. We're mm. we're not trying to please the haters. We're trying to please our fans. And so keeping that in perspective and, and doing things for me, it's make the content you want to see and, and make it entertaining for me and informative, give listeners something to take away. And that's just my advice to anyone who wants to get into content creation, make the content you want to see that you, you don't see it out there. What would I like people to do? Well, go out and make it and, and you can do it yourself. And, and yeah, like there, there's a lot of negativity, um, but just focus on the folks that you are trying to please and kind of hone your content around that. And that I think that's what's made us successful here relatively, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, just yes, it is. Sometimes it's hard and, and sometimes it's uh, discouraging, but also there's a lot of really great moments around it, too. And so just remembering like those those great moments is kind of what we do it for. I have probably struggled with this, I think, more than you two, just that just in that my instinctive reaction is to snap back or lash back at somebody <laughs> in a way that I think you guys are much better at not doing. I've gotten better at that, I think, but like I've that's something that I've had to work at being better about doing because that's not my natural inclination. I think part of that is probably because I've been on the Internet longer than than you two. <laughs> and in the internet's early days, you were, if someone said something to you, you were mean back to them. Like that was your reaction. You, you, you did that, I think. And I, I still have that natural response in me that I have to fight against. I mean, there is like, I don't like to, to dwell a lot like Matt said, but like when I do see something that is antagonistic, I do think that it is fair that there, there are occasions where you can use examples of that type of attitude or that behavior online and try to craft that into something that is informative or useful for other people so that we can better observe those things that are anta antagonistic and remind ourselves not to slip into that and like hopefully see where someone got into that cynical attitude and how we ourselves can avoid it or how we can make sure that it's not present in our playgroups, for example, stuff like that. Um, for me specifically for this question, you know, coping with the downside of content creation. I mean, I'm an openly gay dude on a magic nerd podcast, right? Uh, and there are a lot of people out there who like to spout opinions about that. And that's real cute. Um, 
but you know honestly can i like full full honesty with you guys like the people who are hurling slurs at us for like featuring or supporting like black people and queer people and women honestly like i know exactly what box to put that into like it's really easy to like delete that trash file in my head the stuff that is harder <laughs> for me is like the stuff that I can't sort so easily is when people truly just refuse to engage with the actual thing that you said and, and they think that you said something else. And I'm just like, what do I do with you? In my head, I don't know where to put you. Like, that's actually like a thing that sticks with me a little bit harder sometimes. Um, so I don't know, kind of a weird, weird example there. The, the comments but, yeah. where you say you like pancakes and they ask what you have against waffles. Yeah, right. like that, exactly that type, that. that type of yes. comment. Yeah, yeah. Literally that, like when I told a joke about Draneth Magistrate and then a couple of people were like, Ugh, what do you want this band? Haven't commander players ever heard of removal spells? And it's just like, that's not what I said. I did not say those words. I said nothing about waffles. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly that, Matt. Um, it's harder to know where do I put my emotion with this versus the thing that's just like, oh, I, I love when the trash takes itself out. Thanks for identifying that we don't need to care about, you know, when someone's being just just rude for just being rude. Uh, so, yeah, but Donnie, that's a, a really good question because, yeah, sometimes it is. Huh? But as Matt said, the positives so are, are so much more fun to focus on and also so much more prevalent like the negative stuff is it, it is minuscule by comparison by far well and and let's wrap it up then with our, our last question from an one last listener uh, from shaky mortar and our, our patreon discord uh, asked what was the time you've been surprised by how much impact you've made on other you've been made on by other magic players either through edh rec or the podcast and by the same token was there ever a moment where you were humbled along those same lines so Kind of a nice question to kind of wrap up and just kind of look back on the 300 episodes that we've had and just what is there a moment for the either view that kind of stands out above and beyond anything else? So there's a line in, in the West Wing um, where where one of the characters, Leo, tells another character, Toby, like, Toby, you're not the outsider nipping at the heels of the party. You are the party. And, and that at some point resonated with me because like it took me a long time to realize I was a successful content creator and not somebody struggling to get listens. And I don't know why that took so long, um, but it did. It, it, so like it took a while for me to, to realize people listened to what we said and it was impactful. And it, talking about the previous question about like dealing with the downside and snapping at people or something. It took me a long time to realize that was impactful too. I wasn't just like some random person snapping back at another random person. I was a content creator who the person listened to and maybe respected who was then snapping back at them. Um, and I try not to do it, but like it took me a long time to realize that that power dynamic had shifted. I was somebody who was well-known. I wasn't just some rando saying something to another random person for me uh i don't know i mean this is this kind of ends up being a, a little cheesy but like i've met a lot of other queer players who just wanted to say thank you for me being out on the show and that it meant a lot to them uh and i think for me i was just trying to be like oh, i just live my life it's not a big deal but hearing from so many of them clearly it is a big deal i'm just like oh that's neat like that that's really cool yeah um but a specific specific moment that sticks out to me um was a gentleman who i met at a magic event who told me that his kid is queer and that he just wants to be a good dad. He just wants to support his child, but he doesn't know how to connect sometimes. And he doesn't know what he doesn't know. He doesn't know that experience and he just wants to have a good relationship with his kid. Um, but since he and his kid play EDH, me being out on the show and that being a thing that they both listened to, that like kind of reinforced a, a cool bond between the two of them and that it was a really big deal to both of them. And that just blew my mind. Like that was a really cool moment that I'm trying not to sound emotional about, but it is like really freaking cool. And I'm like, yeah. dang, man. So like that really sticks with me. That was um, 
a moment where it was just like, oh, impact, ah, uh, and, and so I'm trying to be silly about it to avoid like looking at it directly because it's like looking at the sun. But like, yeah, that was a, a really, really cool thing to hear. So I hope, hope you and your kid are doing well, man. What a, it, was, it was a great time to meet you. Yeah, I, I remember there was a moment when we were in Vegas and we got to, we were kind of chatting. It was after our meet and greet and a listener came up who I, I won't name them, but um, shortly after we did their patron shout out because they were our patron shout out of the week. We did our usual botchery of their name and um, they came up and said their one of their parents had passed away shortly before uh, the episode aired. And so right after it aired, that was one of the first things that happened. And so just having that moment of release, um, that was really humbling. And as somebody who also has lost a parent at a young age, um, those moments are hard. And so being able to kind of give some relief to two listeners in, in those heavy moments. We, we have fun here. We try to be silly and entertaining, uh, but being able to have real impacts on, on moments like that, um, that was, that, that felt very, I, I hate saying very good because it's, it's a heavy moment, but, um, mm-hmm. it, being able to help folks through those types of moments, um, that was, that was very humbling for sure. So, so shaky mortal, uh, I hope you wanted heavy answers because that's what you're going to get um, <laughs> when we're, when we're feeling retrospective about the, these 300 episodes here. No, well, what a, what a lovely note to end on too, though. Like what a cool, th- I mean, especially like, I, I feel like uh, we moved to video uh, a lot of mm-hmm. our popularity kind of surged during lockdown. So like yeah, another right, moment right. that kind of stands out was when like the world finally eased back open and we could all go to events again. We could go to a, a magic fest, a command fest, a magic con or whatever. And like we can meet with people who are just like, hey, it's you guys. And it was like, like that was a completely uh, a gear shift from the way that I previously uh, engaged with magic cons. And so that too was just like, Wah! so like, yeah, they're having those moments that are just like, oh, wow, I didn't realize how cool and impactful and meaningful those things would be. So to meet listeners in the first place, to have those types of moments is so rad. So, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the other other one I'll, I'll briefly throw out is that there, and I think we've all had this too in the last year or so, when a random person on the street or somewhere where you are <laughs> recognizes you for what you do, <laughs> that that to me was also a moment where, where like it was a bartender in a bar and also I think a a teller at a bank in a drive-thru. A bank drive-thru is like, wait a minute, you're dating from the industry? Are Matt and Joey here somewhere? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> no we're in, we live in different states, man. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but like, that was a weird thing too. Like I, I, I never, I never thought that would happen. I mean, I'll say I got recognized twice at the Seattle Art Museum uh, while I was on a date. Uh, and that felt really cool. Honestly, oh, yeah, date I, night, I, like that. Yeah. I was just like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I, maybe I'm doing something right. Like that was kind of neat. I think that's like, yeah, that, 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 that was fun. I'm going to feel my zhuzh in that moment, but uh, <laughs> for the most part, I don't want to uh, sound too full of it because, I mean, genuinely, I've gone to magic cons where we super don't, <laughs> like, it's just like, I don't know, we're just nerdy dudes walking around. Like, well, end of the day, that is still ultimately where we're at. Still, so, We still ultimately are very much there, yes. We, yeah. we, we put our deck box together top and bottom just like you. <laughs> <laughs> We 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 double sleeve our cards one sleeve after the yeah. other. <laughs> we struggle to do it. Listen, Matt, not all of us do double sleeve Just our like decks. Actually, uh, yeah, the monsters do. Monsters? People, You're calling me a monster? The, people, the gruel players who are lighting Dana's car or books on fire, <laughs> banging two rocks together, trying to get the sleeve on. <laughs> oh. oh. Bold, it's it's just boulder fall is not just like their favorite card <laughs> <laughs> that's, also, 
that's also how they use the the ultimate gold boulders as well is like yeah oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness i think we've gone off the deep end uh, we, I, all, yes, we did. believe so this was so absolutely splendid. Thank you to all of our patrons for submitting questions. Thank you for our, our friends for submitting questions. This was just, just really awesome to be able to take a look back, kick back, answer some cool questions. Um, and I'm, here's to another 300 episodes. You know? Another, another like 300, yeah. Let's, this, this was fun, but let's do another 300. Why not? Exactly. Uh, and there are plenty of questions that we didn't have time to get to, but thank you all for supporting us through all of these magnificent episodes. And fellas, if our listeners have any questions for you that we didn't get to on the show, uh, where can they find you to pick your brain? Matt? Well, you can find me on pretty much any social media platform at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And if you'd like to send us a question, maybe we'll do another mailbag here. Send us an email at edhretcast at gmail.com as well. And Dana? And you can find me online at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDHRAC and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRACcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz online, most likely being a fool on Instagram. And of course, you can find the cast at EDHRETCast everywhere online. And we've got to shout out once again at Chase for their fantastic work in the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Mm-hmm.